Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today I'm joined with Nisha and Kyle, and I met these guys on TikTok, believe it or not. They were very fascinating to me. Their handle is challenge.faith, and they are talking about leaving the Mormon church. Welcome to the show, Kyle and Nisha. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks so much. Well, I'm very excited to have you guys on my show. You are a married couple, and a lovely couple, by the way, with children. And you're welcome. And I came across you guys coming live on my feed, and I couldn't stop watching you because... (laughs) As my listeners know, I have already interviewed a couple people who have left their religious organizations. And this is not a bash show on religious beliefs. That's not what we're trying to do today. But I do want you guys to tell your side of the story and what made you feel compelled to leave something that was all you ever knew your whole life. So either one, Nisha, Kyle, whoever wants to go first, you guys kind of tell us the story and how it started. Well, Kyle can go first because you're the first one who left, really. Okay. Yeah, so exactly what you said. We were both raised in uh, Mormonism, which is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, And when you're raised in the Mormon Church, you receive a very controlled narrative Right. And that narrative is kind of how they build the church. So they tell you this narrative around the founder, Joseph Smith, having a vision, and then that vision ultimately leading to him finding these golden plates that he translates, and then those golden plates become the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon and the Bible are supposed to go hand in hand to reinforce the story of Jesus Christ. And you hear this very controlled and neat narrative your entire life about how beautiful this is, that Joseph Smith was able to see God and Jesus Christ and bring this other book that reinforces the Bible, and uh, and that we have prophets, just like they had in the Old Testament, on the earth that can receive revelation and prophesy of things, and so your entire upbringing, you hear this beautiful narrative that gives you hope and light, and and you buy into it, obviously through, um, you know, a lot of means, such as indoctrination. And the prophet Joseph, he had received revelations for where we were before we were born, what we're supposed to do on earth, and where we're going after we die. So growing up Mormon, you feel like you have your whole life picture. Okay. Right? Like, you, you know what happened to you and exactly A, B, and C, and D, all these checklist things to do on earth to get you into heaven and you have an idea of what heaven looks like because he has talked to God and found that out. So this is what we believed our entire life were his revelations and his answers and his story. Right. But let me ask you something. I mean, Kyle, I know you kind of started this process first, and I don't know if it was because quarantine, because... That gave us a lot of time to sit around and and think about our lives, let's be honest. Um, But was it because of that? It might have been a few years before that. But what made you go, you know what? I don't like this or I don't believe in this or this just doesn't jive with me. What made you turn the corner? Um, So it started a few years ago for me. Not that I was questioning the church itself, but I started to just see that there was a lot of gray space. There was a lot of nuance. 
Okay. And some of my own beliefs. And so there were two primary things that kind of opened the door to this. The first one, so I, uh, I study educational psychology. I'm in a PhD program for educational psychology. Okay. And the first thing that kind of opened the door was really studying how belief is formed in the brain and okay. how in religion we teach it as though everyone can believe like some objective truth. Like we can all come to the same conclusion about an objective truth and believe the same. But as I studied belief and the neuroscience behind it, what I started to realize was that that's not even possible. We are, our brains are uniquely wired, each one of us. And the neural connections that we make around a belief are exclusive to us as individuals, meaning no one else can conceive of those things, right. conceptualize those things the same way that I can. Right. And so I started to realize that even within Mormonism, we may all say in Mormonism, we refer to God, we did refer to God as Heavenly Father, and we may say, oh, as Mormons, we all believe in Heavenly Father, or we all believe in Jesus, but I realized that well, you don't believe in the same Heavenly Father that I believe in, because you can't. Because the Heavenly Father I believe in is based on my education and my own earthly father and on my life experiences and how I feel about authority figures Mm -hmm, and my mood mm -hmm. or emotion that day and all of these things. And so I started to realize we all say we believe these same things, but none of us actually believe the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So why that matters is because in Mormonism, believing the right thing is very important. So if you don't believe the right thing, then you can't get this end goal, which is to become like God. Because like we said, Joseph already told you what the right thing was. He already told you what God looked like. He told you what you're supposed to be doing. He told you everything. Right. So it's kind of like you, uh, did you kind of like over prioritize your beliefs in that? Like, was it something you had to almost like deprogram yourself with? This isn't what you went into for your education, almost opened your eyes to something that you may not have seen otherwise. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. In in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, I just had this realization that I had done exactly what you said. I had over prioritized believing the right thing, and I would put right in quotations, because now I see that as a very ambiguous term. But at the time, I over-prioritized believing the right thing. And then when I realized that none of us could believe the same thing, how on earth do we determine who believes the right thing if we all believe it differently in our own unique ways? At some place, you have to draw a line that says, well, this person's belief, even though it's exclusive and unique to them, qualifies them versus this person's belief, even though it's unique and exclusive to them, disqualifies them. Right. It's, well, it's kind of like how the Baptists say, you can't go to heaven unless you're saved. And that's a baptism. That's a Baptist way. That is their right. I'm not here to do or think ill will on any of this religion part of it. It's just how we think now and our individual journeys, because I think, I think a lot of religion is beautiful and it's helpful for people. I think the fellowship is good for people. Um, Personally, I don't even go to a church. I am a big believer in God and Jesus, but I don't, and I may or may not leave this in, you know, I have a personal relationship with him and I'm very, very satisfied with that. But I spend a lot of time with my kids, a lot of time with my family. 
To me, that is my priority. To me, loving my husband and you, like you guys do, you love each other so much. That is my priority. That is my focus. It's not giving tithing. It's not going to a temple. It's not wearing these weird garments I have to wear underneath my clothes because I'm closer to God or whatever it is. Because I don't, and I'm saying these things, and I'm probably sounding very uneducated because you guys can say it way better than me. But I, the church swaps that. They tell you family is important. But you also have to be doing all of these things. And Kyle and I were just talking today that the church expects so much out of you when you serve and you have all of these different callings that at the end of the day, some Sundays we wouldn't see Kyle. So you should use the word calling. A calling in Mormonism is a church assignment that you are given. And so it would be a specific responsibility like teaching Sunday school or being a a youth leader or even leading a congregation. All of the work that is done in a congregation is all voluntary through these callings. Well, let's call it what it is. It's free work labor from the members of the church. I mean, let's let's just call it that what it is because they don't have to hire. It it, it absolutely is. And and we, you know, Nisha and I, similar to what you said, Nisha and I are not out to hurt somebody's faith or, right, or be right. offensive around the Mormon church. But we also feel like we're walking a tightrope sometimes in saying how we actually feel about these things. So for example, the Mormon church has hundreds of billions of dollars. It's been you know confirmed and verified. It is a phenomenally wealthy organization, and yet 98% of the work that gets done is through exploited labor from their members that, wow. that they're giving on top of. of their tithing, a generous fast offering, which is another donation. So we literally gave our entire lives, every dollar. We did all of that, and the church was constantly exploiting more and more of us Mm -hmm. away from anything and everything else. And also basing it on a fear that if you didn't do those things, you're risking your chance to get to heaven. You're risking your salvation. And see, that's to me, that is the cult part. When you try to put some brainwashing into people, and and I hate to say that because I don't want to sound like I'm bashing a religion because I do think that there's good in all kinds of different religions. But I do think that just because I'm, I'm a Baptist or a Catholic or a Jewish person, well, I'm sorry, you're not going to heaven. You don't believe in Christ. Or I'm sorry, you're not going to go to heaven because you don't take a communion every Sunday. It's just... It's so ritualistic anymore that I just think, just take a step back and, and decide what feels best for you. And that might be exactly where you are. When you guys, did, well, first of all, let me ask what happened, because I know when Kyle came to you, Nisha, you are not having this. No, I wasn't. So <laughs> to go back to Kyle's story, and I don't want to speak for him too much, but go back to Kyle's story. Right after quarantine, the world went into, well, the United States went into Black Lives Matter, right? Right. We started, you know, kind of dividing as a country. And Kyle started researching the church's stance on certain topics, race being one of them. Mm -hmm. And that led him to finding a lot of the church's history regarding racism. Mm -hmm. Take it from here, Kyle. But that sparked his interest in all of church's history. And that just led him to find out things that we were not being taught that were harmful Mm. in the past, especially with race. I mean, black people were not given the priesthood, which is the power of God, and you need that for salvation until 1978. Wow, wow. That's very recent. So it was actually a very specific 
event. So yes, all of the Black Lives Movement was happening, and the LDS Church, the Mormon, I'll use LDS and Mormon interchangeably. Okay. The Mormon Church released some social media campaigns around the work that they were doing with the NAACP, which presented Mormonism in a very favorable light, that they were coming together with the NAACP, that they made all this progress. And they had released this big, long statement, and I read it, but never once in it did they apologize or acknowledge the harm that they had done through their policies Oh wow! until, until 1978. So as I read it, I was so frustrated that they wanted to take all of this credit for working with the NAACP now, but they weren't willing to say, hey, you know what? We had some really, really terrible teachings about skin color. We made some bad decisions, and we are sorry and apologize for them. I wanted to see that level of acknowledgement that said, we see that we hurt and harm people because of their skin color, and they didn't do that. And so that's what that was like one big trigger for me that said, I want to learn more and more about this topic. And then once you get into these Mormon church history topics, it is an endless rabbit hole because virtually everything that I was taught has way more uncertainty, way more nuance. Some of it would flat out lies. And so you just end up in this like vortex of reading all of these different versions of the mm-hmm. history and all of the messiness and mm-hmm. problematic pieces to it. Right. And so to say that I was not into it when Kyle started talking to me was because I would read like current things like the church's involvement with the NAACP and be like, oh my gosh, the church is amazing. (laughs) Not even knowing, Mm -hmm. not knowing any of the history. Because to be honest, you are not taught that history. Well, Nisha, you're also taught not to question it. Exactly. Oh, big time. Big time. And you mentioned, you know, I mean, we use caution with the word cult just because we have a lot of loved ones who are still members of the Mormon church. And right, and we'll get they, to that. They're happy, and we, we believe they are because we were happy. We were, yeah, we were so happy. That's why when Kyle would bring up issues, I'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> we, we are, like, totally fine. Stop rocking the boat. Sorry, I just wanted to get this one piece in. Sure. I bring up the cult word because there is a specific model called the bite model which talks about various levels of control, and it's B-I-T-E. It stands for behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotion control. And there are specific examples within each one of those. And when you read those examples within each one of those, the Mormon church certainly checks off a lot of the boxes. A lot of them. Okay, okay. And also, now let's talk about your family members, because I've been reading, and, and I know a lot of people that, when they leave, their families are not happy and they disassociate themselves with the family member that left. Is that happening yeah. to you? And what is going on with your specific families on either side? You know, my brother had a wife who left about five or six years ago. And as a believing Mormon, we were devastated for them because if you know this truth, how could you leave it? Yeah. How could you yeah. risk your family not being together in the afterlife? It just seems so Billy, as a believing member, and you're just appalled, and you're like, oh, well, they probably just wanted to sin, or they probably wanted to not read their scriptures, and they wanted to be lazy. So we had all those thoughts about people when they left the church, and we know our family's thinking that about us. Oh, wow. Certainly. Okay. Yeah. But they, so far, have all been so kind. We haven't Good. had anybody shun us. We haven't had anybody... Well, we... So our first experience with, this is 
it's not an extreme example, but our first experience realizing that some of our relationships have changed actually just happened last night. Yeah. Oh, we wow. That, uh, that one of our parents and siblings had all planned a vacation this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were not invited. We were not told that it was even happening. So we were literally the only family not invited to this vacation. Oh, and yeah. We're trying not to take too much offense because a part of the vacation that they want to take has to do with Mormon church church history. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so we're trying not to read into it too much, but it it at least just shows that our relationships at some level are different because of this decision. Right. But let me ask you guys, if you guys are coming to this conclusion, or at least some of these new conclusions and thought patterns and, you know, revelations, how can... How can other people that are just as intelligent as you and your family or, or even your friends, how are they not seeing this? Is it really truly just because they they don't want to or they don't know to or they just are happy where they are? I mean, there had to have been an element where you weren't satisfied somewhere, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's so hard because... Unless, Kyle and I say this all the time, unless you're in it, it's so hard to understand because when you are a true believing Mormon... Your whole life is wrapped around this, and you have had confirmation from the Spirit, from God, that this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. This yeah. is what you're taught. When I pray, I'm told. When I pray, I am told that if it is right, I will have a burning in my bosom, and I will feel happy. So when I pray, is the Mormon Church true? Is the Book of Mormon true? You know, that was the feeling I was told I was going to get, and lo and behold, I got it. So that means it must be true. Right. And they're feeling all of these same things. So it's hard for us to be like, open your eyes, guys. Like, there's so much that you don't know. But Kyle and I talked about it as well. If he had never gone down this rabbit hole, we would have spent the rest of our life Mormon and been fine. Right. And happy. Yeah, we wouldn't have known any different. We wouldn't have known any different. When you're in Mormonism, and you only read their sources, it all makes so much sense. And actually, in it, it all really does make so much sense. I think the moment that you step out of, like, the Mormon Church-approved documents that they've controlled, exactly. right. the moment you step out of that, you start to see, wait a second, this, like, neat, clean story is not neat and clean. And that's what really opens the door for you to say, okay, this isn't quite what I was taught for it to be and uh, open the door to actually asking the question of, is this actually true? Are there problems with it? But when you're in it, it is so hard to even comprehend that it couldn't be true. You have to realize that this is, you know, your entire life. This is decades of being indoctrinated and it's constant reinforcement. One of the things in the bite model is that they keep you so involved and so busy that you never have a chance to question. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. very true of Mormonism. There were times that I had assignments and callings that I was spending 30 hours a week doing work on. So Sundays I would leave, and we made a TikTok video about this, but I would leave the house at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and I wouldn't get home until 3 or 4 p.m. at night. And then two or three days out of the week, I would be back at the church for other activities or interviews or meetings. And mm-hmm. uh, and then you'd be going on a trip over the weekend with the youth, you know, camping or something. And your entire life is wrapped up in it. Your entire social community is wrapped up in it that you never even 
you never even need to look anywhere else because everything about you is tied up in the religion. And every, like you said, everyone you associate with is Mormon. So you're happy. You have friends. You have no need to go mess that up. Well, and what's funny is on one of your TikTok videos, uh, you and Kyle were talking about the first time he had a beer. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because, you know, if you're not surrounded by people or friends before this who drank coffee or had beer or whatever, that must have been very even, I think, even scary for Kyle. I mean, tell me about that experience. I think you I think you said something really important. It, it was just overall a scary experience, a scary. Mm -hmm. It was so new and so foreign. I did not grow up or was ever really around people who drank coffee, alcohol, smoked. Like, I have always been friends with other Mormons. I sound like a right. terrible person when I say that. No, no, no. I, just, went, I went to a Mormon-approved school. I never was really around other people that weren't Mormon. As yeah. a youth growing up in the Mormon church, you're taught to stay away from those things, right? So right. if you have friends that do those things... Avoid evil. You you avoid them because you're taught not even to be around those things. Well, because we're evil and we should be destroyed. You should not drink coffee or have alcohol, right? <laughs> so yeah, We want to convert you. <laughs> but you know what? It, it's all about... The only word I would clarify there is destroyed. Mormonisms aren't very much on destroying anybody. Oh, I know, I know. But uh, but so, my thing is, well, I know, I was just, just kidding. An important note. Oh, Mormonisms sure. don't actually believe in hell. Oh, well, so that's good. Mormonism, okay. There's not a damnation after this life that anyone would fear with a very, very tiny exception. Okay. But I think you guys are taught to stay around the people that, that are your kind of people. Like I have friends in our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, they're just neighbors. I don't know them very well. They stay very to themselves. They're Mormon lovely, yeah. <laughs> lovely people. Um, and I've never tried to be more than just neighbor friends with her just because, you know, she's on the other side of the neighborhood. I don't really see her much, but I know they're, yeah. you know, and they're lovely people. So I have nothing but wonderful things to say about them. They're fantastic. But I just didn't realize all of the stuff that kind of is the same as the other fundamentalist guys. I didn't realize this. Yeah. It is. It, well, it's so funny because I have a neighbor across the street that I was talking to and I was like, hey, I just started drinking coffee. She's like, wait, what? <laughs> Why? And I was like, well, because I couldn't have it before. And she's like, oh my gosh, I drink so much coffee. <laughs> so I was able to have this like conversation with her that before I would have honestly been a little bit judgy. And I'd be like, oh, you're drinking coffee. That's not what you're supposed to do. Like you're going to ruin your body. You're not supposed to do that. God doesn't want you to do that. Yeah, I read an article that said, is the reasons why Mormons don't drink coffee or alcohol. They wanted to separate from the common everyday worldly temptations just so they could be closer to God. Yeah, okay. basically. So, so Joseph Smith had a revelation called the Word of Wisdom. And in that revelation, it says to abstain from hot drinks, alcohol, hard drugs. It also gives you very specific guidelines about when to eat meat and herbs and things like that. Now, it's funny to me because Mormons are pretty lax on the eating meat part. They're lax on every part of it except for the coffee they are. and alcohol. Yes, that is very true. And They're lax just, on everything. It's just so crazy to me because I love coffee and coffee is just 
Well, it is a stimulant. Yeah, I actually drink caffeine-free coffee because of my, I have a thyroid thing, whatever. It just kind of messes with me. Um, but I just drink caffeine-free because I, I just enjoy the taste. It's just a hot beverage. It's not bad. It's yeah. not, you know. Now, hard drugs, of course, stay away from those, you know, and, and be careful with alcohol because, you know, you can get addicted. I do understand that. Right. But coffee? Right. I mean, I don't understand. So it is so interesting because to go back to when Kyle drank his first beer, I was out of the house with the kids and he was here by himself and we had kind of talked like a couple of weeks before and he was like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to drink alcohol. I'm not going to drink alcohol. And then while I'm away, he texted me and he asked me if he can drink some alcohol. We had talked a little bit about it and Nisha was like, well, I don't want you to go to a bar. I also don't want you to have like alcohol in the house around the kids or anything like that. And so the, the reason I texted her was because they were out of the house and I thought, well, I can have a beer and then it'll all be gone when they get home and right, it, right. it will alleviate her concerns. It was such a bad timing. I was with my family, who, my sisters, my mom, who are all LDS. It was a shocking, like surprising text. I didn't have anybody I could talk to right then. I was watching my kids at an amusement park. So I was like, sure, go ahead. Like, I can't talk about this right now, and I can't even process. She didn't say any of that. All she said was, sure, go ahead. I couldn't process what was happening, and I didn't have anybody. I couldn't talk to anybody at that moment. I couldn't have told my mom. She would have been like, what? I know, what? I know, really? yeah. yeah. Well, let me ask you something, Kyle. How did, how did you feel when you had your first drink of beer, and how do you guys deal with alcohol in your house now? Um, it was definitely a mix of emotions. And I think that's honestly the storyline of having this kind of faith crisis. Sure. It's just a constant mix of emotions. There's a okay. part that was so liberating to say, I can do this and I don't have to, I don't have to go confess this to anyone. I don't have to feel guilt or shame Good for or you. sorrow about this. Good for you. Like, so there was, the, there was that part of liberation, but there was also a part of like, it's just so unfamiliar and you've been taught for so long that it's evil and wicked. And so there's still, it's not like that goes away, right? It's not like right. that disappears if right away. If you drink enough, it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. so, so it was it was like a strange mix of emotions uh, that first time. And then it, just the longer you go on, the more and more certain you are that it's not true. Like, it's not like you wake up one day and you're just like 100%, oh, it's not true. It's this evolving kind of conceptualization of things, right? Where you're like, okay, well, this piece is definitely not true, but I'm going to hold on to all of this other stuff. And then you just continue to do that and you find more and more pieces until you're finally willing and ready to say, you know what, this whole thing is not true. Because I think to Kyle, like when he decided to drink coffee or alcohol, it was after he had read all of the history to how the word right. of wisdom had come to be. And then when he questions, wait a minute, was this really a revelation? Or was yeah. <laughs> this just some man trying to gain control? Right. When you start to question it like that, it's no longer looked as a law from God. It's just totally crazy. Well, and I also think, you know, it's just a matter of you guys can trust yourselves. You're adults. You have control over what you put in your body. Every now and then, a glass right. of wine or a beer or some coffee is right. absolutely okay. Yeah. So I was going to say, however, like, but when you're in the Mormon church, you don't see it that way because if you drink alcohol, then you can't go to the temple. 
you can't start, you can't do those things that are supposed to take you and bring you closer to God. Wow. Okay. (laughs) It's just crazy to me. Well, let me ask you this, guys. So is a ward a pastor? Is that what that is? Or is it a, another church? What is a ward? I remember you guys talking about that in your TikTok. Okay. Tell me about that. Yeah, so a ward is just the term that Mormons use for their local congregation. Okay. So in in Mormonism, you don't just go to whatever church you want. You go to a specific congregation based on where you live. So they have geographic boundaries, and where whatever boundary you live in, you're assigned a specific congregation, and that's called your ward. And so in a you know, in a large city, there may be hundreds of wards, all based on a specific geographic boundaries. And so if you move outside of a geographic boundary, then you would go to a different congregation. You don't just choose a congregation, you go to a congregation you're assigned to. Okay, gotcha. Now, do you guys still go to the Mormon church, or have you totally left that part of your life behind? We don't go anymore. Okay. No, that's uh, that's fair. I mean... To, it's hard to say we've, like, totally left that part of us behind, just because a lot of our friends are still Mormon, and we're trying our best to navigate those relationships, because right. they are dear friends to us, and we love and care about them. And it can be really awkward sometimes, just because we do see the world very different. And and once you're out, you pick up on the way that they talk about things that sometimes can be a little triggering. So it's difficult, but we don't go to church anymore. We don't don't really participate in any of their programs and whatnot, but we try to be supportive and maintain the friendships that we have of people who are in there. The difficulty is that they're always trying to reconvert us. (laughs) Well, and you know, your actions will show more to them, not necessarily convert them, but make them understand why you left in the first place over anything you can say to them. I guarantee you that. Your actions. That is really important. Yes. It's the message you send with your kindness and how you treat your friends, regardless if you're still in agreement with where you go to church or not. Your actions will make them not necessarily question what they're doing, but not question what you're doing so much. I think that's really the only thing we hope. We're not that concerned with whether or not we bring somebody out of the church. We certainly think there are very good reasons to take that path as we did. But we're much more we're much more concerned that they simply see and recognize that we did this out of a sincere, earnest seeking and with the very best intention for our families and Mm -hmm. with all of the love and wisdom that we could. I Mm -hmm. think that's our biggest concern is for our friends anyway, is just that they see that we didn't do this because we hated somebody or because we were angry at somebody or because we wanted to go out and sin or because we wanted to, (laughs) you know, it it wasn't any of that. It was that we discovered information and experiences that didn't align. And we had to, at some level, question those things. And so I think that's the only hope is that we just want people to recognize and validate Mm -hmm. that our experience is valid and that we have very valid and, and meaningful reasons for leaving. You know, and it's funny, it feels to me, just the vibe I get from you guys, you guys are closer now. You guys are actually closer as a married couple now. It just feels like that to me. And I don't know why it does, because I didn't know you before now and and when you were going to church. But because he's... 100%. Yeah. We are. We talk more about spiritual ideas. We are more open emotionally with each other. It's 
such an emotional process to tear down all of your former beliefs and then try to reconstruct them with your partner and tell them like, you know, especially when Kyle was the first one to tell me these things. And at first I was very defensive because he was telling me that the things I thought were true weren't true anymore. Right. Right. And so, you know, obviously we fought a lot in the beginning, but then as I started to come around and started to do my own research, I could see like the pain that he had gone through by himself. And we were just able to be more vulnerable and raw with each other mm-hmm. and just say, you know what, this process hurts me today and it sucks today. Right. And be there for each other because there's nobody else that could comfort us in that situation unless they had gone through that process. Right. And so we just really learned to rely on each other and ask for help when we need it and be a listening ear. Like I really appreciate Kyle being more sympathetic and being like, you know what? I understand you're having a hard day today because maybe, you know, one of your friends said this or you read this article and you can sit in that moment, Nisha, and I'll take care of the kids. And you know what? I also have noticed Kyle has, way less anxiety than he had before oh i'm sure yes he is helping around the house he is (laughs) like involved he is like a present person and is seems like he wants to be here well nisha he's home now i mean i interviewed a woman who was amish different situation but kind of the same she wasn't happy she left when she was 18. she said leslie when i left and I could actually use the bathroom inside a house and shower and shave myself and do things that I'd never, ever, ever done. And I was taught it was bad and horrible and, and against everything we believed yeah. in. She goes, I'm still in counseling for that. Yeah. So I can yeah. only imagine how hard it is to just take a breath and go, it's okay. You don't have to be so doctrinated in something that is still a very nice, lovely religion. And they do a lot of nice things. Don't, yeah. don't get me wrong at all. But the fact that you can just go, it's okay if I have a glass of wine. It's okay if I don't go to church on Sunday. It's okay if I want coffee in the morning. It's okay. You're an adult. Yeah. And I know Kyle's not judging me and I'm not judging him anymore. If I was believing when he was drinking alcohol, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm judging you right now because you're not supposed to do that. That's a really big factor to the health of our relationship is, In Mormonism, you're so focused on becoming more and more perfect every day. Mm. And you put that pressure not only on yourself, but you put Mm -hmm. that pressure on your spouse to be what you think perfection is. And so when you see your spouse do something that doesn't align with perfection, if I, Mm -hmm. you know, wasn't doing my calling the right way, or if Nisha wasn't doing, giving enough time to her calling, we would call each other out on it, right? We would say, oh, you haven't done what you need to do for Sunday school yet, you need to do that. Or if we weren't praying enough together, or we weren't reading our scriptures enough together, or if, you know, one of us was having a bad day and was right. emotional, we would criticize those things yeah. in each other all the time because it was a sign that we weren't living up to our standard and our potential. And so it's just this relationship where we were just constantly critical of each other. Yeah, critical of each other because we weren't living up to some standard that the church had given us. And now, We have none of that because the only standard we set for each other is what the spouse cares about. So, you know, if Nisha wants to drink coffee or she wants to do whatever, she wants to tell the kids 
that they're not going to have school today if she wants to. <laughs> I win. If she wants to tell somebody that asks her to do service, no. All of those things are easy to accept now because we just don't see them as necessities. We don't see them as rules, and so it, it has opened up our relationship for us to actually discover who each other is versus who we think the other person should be. Yeah. Oh, great point. And if you can get that out of life at all, even in Mormonism or not, that's a feat in itself. The fact that you guys support each other, that you guys love each other in a whole different way. And it's almost like you're grasping life and discovering each other. It's probably almost like you're on a honeymoon again because it's it's just, there's no pressure. You know, there, there's no pressure anymore. And, and I know you have children. How are they affected in all this? Tell me, I know they probably only had friends in the Mormon church as well. So uh, tell me how that's affecting them. Um. So initially... I think everybody was like, what's going on, right? Right. And we talked to them openly about the whole process while we were going through the whole process. It was quarantine and summertime, and we're doing homeschool right now because our school's not open here. So our kids are constantly around us. So right. they heard every conversation. So they started to pick up on things pretty quick, especially our oldest, who is nine. Okay. And honestly, he has been baptized in the church. So he's been the one who had probably the most indoctrination, right? Right. Because um, he's just, he's been around longer. And really, they were thrilled. <laughs> like, oh, really? They were so happy to not go to church because <laughs> church was long and it was boring. And I mean, they got to see their friends, but they were expected to sit quietly. So it's not like they were actually having fun with their friends. Right. So they were happy to not put on a suit and a tie every Sunday. They were happy to sleep in. They were happy to just change the way we were doing our Sundays. And right. I think that's maybe an important point is, you know, Mormon church is very formal. So mm, it's uh, yeah. very reverent. Everyone's very quiet. They all sit very properly. You're all wearing shirts and ties, usually a white shirt and a tie specifically. They changed this a few years ago, but for much of our oldest child's life, church was three hours long. What? Um, three hours? A couple of years ago to be two hours long, but still oh. it, for a five or a six or a seven-year-old yeah. to be yeah. in church for two to three hours in that environment where it's very formal and very rigid, you know, there's no talking loud there's you know they're constantly being told to fold your arms fold your arms sit still you know close your mouth so yeah i mean they were thrilled to not not have to do that anymore we did tell them they might have you know some moments with friends where things might be brought up and we don't need to inflict or pressure them to believe the way we do. Right, right. Because they'll talk about it, right? Especially when the ones who are turning eight and are being baptized, they'll talk about their baptism coming up. Or, you know, at 12 years old, they get the priesthood. So when our friends, when our kids' friends have those milestones, you know, we especially our oldest, we told them, like, you don't need to say the church isn't true to that person because that won't help them. <laughs> so right. No. Exactly. Their friends have all been kind and they still play with them. And we haven't had any issues with them yet. So. Well, and it's one of I those things where you just kind of agree to disagree. It's kind of like being, you know, in politics, you know, one person might think one way and the, another person exactly. may think the other way. But you just have to 
it's it's a respect situation. And like I said before, your actions will show way more the kind of people and the kind of family you are when you show your loving family. Because the videos on TikTok, you guys, you guys have only been on for what, a, a few weeks? And you've already, it, has it been a week? Oh my gosh, it's only been a week. And I found you, you were one of the first people that came up like four or five days ago. And I commented and y'all commented back and I was like, I know I keep having these people on my podcast. I've had an Amish girl and I've had an, you know, but because I'd never done a couple and, and I just wanted your take um, as a family because it's a whole different dynamic. And I'm just so proud of you guys. And I'm not saying, oh, I'm proud of you for leaving a horrible church. It's not a horrible church. I'm not saying that at all. Right. I'm, I'm proud right. of you for recognizing something that you need to do for your family and for you as a couple. And if yeah. that means a little freedom, a little deep breath during the day and, and some time with your husband and time with your wife and your kids and having a glass of wine with your friends or having coffee in the morning together mm -hmm. and just spending time, that's so worth it. It's just, you know, life is too short. Yeah. Um, what do you guys want to do with this TikTok account? Are you guys kind of wanting to maybe go further with this? Maybe do your own podcast? Uh, that might be kind of fun. What do you guys think about something in the future? <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, we didn't expect it to. And it's not like we went super viral or anything, but we honestly expected in the first week to maybe get like 10 followers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, it's hard to get followers. Yeah, to, to do what it's done. And so it wasn't something that we had really thought like, oh yeah, we're going to do this TikTok and then we're going to move it into this other space. We, it wasn't something that was even on our minds until probably the third day. And people started to comment. People started to ask us like, do you have a YouTube channel? Do you have a podcast? And we, when we said no, they were like, you've got to start a YouTube channel. And so it's just something that we're now starting to even think about because it just wasn't, we just started the account to honestly for some catharsis, like get some of this out mm -hmm. right. and maybe no. hopefully yeah. help a few other people. And for people to say, I can't, like literally we have people, you know, commenting and messaging us saying, I can't get enough of you. I've binge watched all of your videos mm -hmm. from 2.30 a.m. in the morning. It feels so nice to have that validation and that yeah. support and encouragement. Well, like you said, Kyle, I mean, both of you, you didn't have anyone else to go to. You are now, yeah. you yeah, you are now giving someone, even if it's on TikTok, I know TikTok is now not just kids anymore. I know at one point it probably was a lot younger people, but I do it for my books and my podcast. So there you go. Why not? It's free. But the thing is, you give a voice to other people that maybe don't feel like they have one, or maybe you give them pause to go, you know, I've been thinking about this for so long. I didn't know what to do. I thought I was going to go straight to hell or whatever, I, not hell, but yeah, I know you don't think of that, but I thought I was never going to get into heaven, whatever that means if I don't go to hell. Um, you know, so you give somebody else a voice and you give somebody else a, a peace of mind that it's okay, you're not going to explode <laughs> if you have coffee or whatever. So, but I'm just, like I said, I'm so happy you guys joined me today. It's been such a wealth of information and I am all into the psychology. That's why I called my podcast because I want to know, truly, I love to get in people's heads. I love to find out what their choices in life and how it's affected them. I love that part of this. And I, I really encourage you guys to do a podcast. I think it would be very successful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for all yeah. that. Yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. And uh, guys, for my listeners, if you have a TikTok account, or even if you don't, get on there and listen to them. It's Nisha and Kyle, and their handle is challenge.fit. 
faith. Check them out, guys. They are fantastic. They're fun and they're exciting to listen to. Sometimes you'll see their kids pop in. Sometimes you'll hear their kids in the background and you'll see Nisha looking over there going, I hope they're going to be okay. And you know what? And then sometimes you might see Kyle or Nisha tear up here and there. And it's just so moving and so real and authentic. And we don't have a lot of that anymore. So guys, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.